Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you all to the table, where together we face the daily challenges of autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis. Every Sunday, join our fellow patient co-hosts as they lead discussions in the patient community, as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table. Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360. This is the official talk show for the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis, or AI Arthritis for short. My name is Tiffany Westrich-Robertson. I am the CEO of the organization. I am a recurring co-host, and I am a person living with these diseases. My primary diagnosis is axial spondyloarthritis, and some... (laughs) As most of you, if you are if you're familiar with these diseases and listening, that it wouldn't be surprising. And I am joined today by two of our other recurring co-hosts. Hello there. Hi. How are you? Good. Good. Why don't you both introduce yourselves? Sure. I'll start. I'm Estela Mata, and I'm one of the co-founders of Looms for Lupus. And I live with fibromyalgia, and I support my daughter who lives with fibromyalgia, my mom with osteoarthritis, and my sisters with lupus. And I am Juana Mata, the other co-founder of Looms for Lupus. I was diagnosed with lupus 11 years ago, and I have other conditions, uh, fibromyalgia, AFib, Sjogren's, uh, and rheumatoid arthritis as well. And that's just what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So I reached out to you both specifically as as co-hosts for the show because the topic that we've identified really needs to come to the table for these shows and these discussions is about support. And I thought, well, who better (laughs) to bring to the table to help lead this? Because I know that your organization does a lot with that. And we will put a link to their organization on all of the broadcasts for this so that you can learn a little bit more. But the topic is literally support. It's something we haven't talked a lot about on the show. And just for those of you listening, the way this talk show works is we are an organization led by people living with these diseases, affected by these diseases. So that could be family members, that could be friends or peers, people who are also associated because it is a group experience. And that's something we'll focus on today. In the beginning of all of the shows, we put the topics on the table and they are based on information that we know, that we have learned, that we understand to be of utmost importance because of lived experience. We're talking to each other. We know this is important. And then in this level of the conversation, we literally talk as people who are affected by this topic, the key issues we've realized, and then we're going to invite all of you back to the table with us to continue the conversation so that we can begin developing resources that matter most to you. The topic today, support, and we're saying a family experience, but family doesn't always necessarily mean blood relatives. It could mean 
people who are most close to you. So whomever you consider your innermost circle and what is needed for support. I wanted to turn this over to you both. And I thought maybe you could tell a little bit about your experience as a family living with these diseases and just start us off from there. So I can start really quick, Tiffany, with my sister was diagnosed, Juana was diagnosed with lupus. She almost lost her life. So we automatically, we're a very close family. And as soon as she was diagnosed, we knew that we were going to be there for her because we stand close to each other and we support each other. So we automatically took the role of being her support system. And even though it was a bit overwhelming, some of us took that initiative. I was one of the one of the sisters that took the initiative and took on that role very easily or just signed up for that role. But it wasn't as easy for everyone else. So, you know, when the family automatically becomes the support system, some of us may have more challenges in accepting the diagnosis or having someone living with an invisible illness just such as lupus. So because of that, and we knew that, you know, this was going to affect not just my sister, but my mom, my my siblings, my my dad at that time, we knew that we needed to educate ourselves and we needed to support each other as much as we supported her. So hence why we started our support groups to include those family caregivers, family and loved ones. So not everyone has a supportive family. They might have friends, like you said, you know, your inner circle. So we invited everyone also to be part of that support system. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of how we became involved and, you know, kind of took on that role. Okay. And the support, it's not only for the person living with a condition such as lupus, but also the support is for those family members, loved ones who also need to be supported because knowing that a family member is going through challenges with their health is is also very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. So Juana, tell us a little bit from your perspective, and I'll add mine in as well, because I'm also a person living with these diseases. Mm -hmm. When you obtained your diagnosis and you thought of, I need support, what did that look like to you? I don't think I even thought about, I need support. It was an automatic thing, especially with my sister, Stella, her being with me at the minute I was diagnosed. And I didn't know much about lupus. So she's the one that actually learned first than I, then I I didn't know much about it. So she's the one that started teaching me. So I just felt the support from her and she just started helping me. So uh, it wasn't that I was looking for the support because I think I I knew I had it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't ask them to learn or even to come with me or or talk to me about what I was going through. It was just something automatic that my family were so close that it was something that um, my sister Stella and well everyone, but especially Stella is the one that just surrounded me with with all this support, love and information about what I was going through. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important point to bring up is your family is so close and it doesn't negate other close families that may have different experiences. We all have different experiences, but you automatically feeling supported. Yes. Feeling that not, there wasn't the the need or the yearning for 
something missing. Right, right. And from from your family. Absolutely. I felt the support from from the first very second that I was diagnosed. So I've always had the support. Unfortunately, not everyone has the support that I had. Mm-hmm. So um so I do see that a lot of people do need the support and the knowledge on how to help each other to go through a condition such as lupus. So I have a question. We're, we we we've been saying saying support, and you know, it could mean a lot of things, right? Like, oh well, I have support. Well, what does support? I think the first part of figuring out the challenges and the needs of what people need for resources, etc., is let's define support. Yeah. For each person. I mean, it, it's we can't define it between the three of us. No. <laughs> but asking people when you think of support, what does that mean to you? And, you know, I look at my journey and I think the trail that led up to my experience, it took two years to get a diagnosis. So I had a lot of frustration, a lot of feeling that nobody believed me. I didn't have a lot of visible disease activity. My parents believed me. They were very frustrated (laughs) that there were no answers being this mystery patient. But I think my need for what I wanted from support really lent to understanding something was was happening to me. It was an, a level of understanding that I was looking for. I know some of the things that you said in the beginning, Estella, you said, I took on the role as the support system and, and we, our family, took on that role. Tell me what that role is. Yeah. So- You know, to me, I knew that I needed to learn as much as I could in regards to the illness that she was diagnosed with. I wanted to know how it was going to affect her. I wanted to know if there were treatments for it. I wanted to know how it was going to affect my nephew, who was young at that age. My sister has two sons, so but my main focus was to the little one. Mm. And I just wanted to know as much and learn as much as I could about the illness. Unfortunately, back then, there were no treatments at all for it. And what you saw was just that it could kill you. So no treatments and it can kill you was pretty devastating. So trying to get that information also to my mom and to my siblings was very difficult. So what I started doing is, you know, translating a lot of the stuff because we're mainly Spanish speaking. And then I figured, you know what, it's better for us to just sit together and learn together. But yes, I definitely took on that role. I have been by my sister's side since day one, since the day she was diagnosed. She is so empowering because she's alive today because she was determined to not let this kill her. So I wasn't going to allow her to walk this walk alone. It's not easy for everyone to take on that role. Some of my sisters are not like me. They're not driven like me, but it doesn't mean they're not supportive. So, and I think going back to what you were talking about, Tiffany, is what is support? Some people may see that support is being there and listening to the individual. Mm -hmm. Some people may think support is learning about the condition. Some people may think that support is asking, do you need my help? (laughs) So it's, it's very difficult. So I think one of the main key ingredients of all of this is communication. Communication between the individual that's 
living with a condition and communicating back to their loved ones and or friends and caregivers because there's a whole lot of things that happen when you have an illness, a chronic condition. It's going to impact your daily life, your life with your friends, with your work, you know, with your husband, with your children. So I think communication is a key. Definitely communication. And as a patient, what does support mean to me? Just knowing that my sister, my family, and my loved ones are there. Not necessarily for them to do things for me physically, but just knowing that they're there for me. Whenever I need to call somebody that I can call and we don't have to necessarily talk about my condition or what I'm going through, but just to say hello, it's a beautiful day. So it doesn't have to be necessarily about, let's talk about the pain that I am going through, just knowing that they're there. I just wrote that down because I think it's a key thing to understand here. Support can be physical, it can be emotional. So that alone is very important to understand because these chronic illnesses are very complex. And I think by nature, there are different types of people. I think when we move forward in these conversations, when we break out to the public and to invite people to the table to talk and exploring what is support to you and how does that branch out into physical? What does that mean for emotional? But also what is that role? And as you said, Estella, you have, I mean, I've met <laughs> Estella in person. And <laughs> I mean, she and I could get in some trouble. Yes. <laughs> Good trouble. So, um, very, uh, very action-oriented, uh, you know, very vibrant, very willing to take the bull by the horns and, and, and make things happen. And I, could, and I could see you automatically taking on that kind of role. Do you all, in, in, you know, in your nonprofit and in, in talking to people, do you come across people who are opposite of that and maybe struggle with what is my role or what can I offer? I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. We have seen, because we do provide in-person support groups, well, not during COVID right now, but in-person support groups, and we invite family members and loved ones and caregivers. So I think that helps a lot. We have encountered family members mothers that can't or don't know how to support their daughters or their sons. We have come up with mothers that are 100% supportive and are there at the support group every single time. And it's not because there's no love. It's just because they don't know. They don't know how to help. They don't know how to support. So I think, and we've seen it in so many people where the relationship with the mother was not there or the family. And once they came into the support group and they heard other stories from other people living with the same condition as their daughter or their son, then they had this empathy, right? And that's where you kind of, you look into this and you're like, well, you put yourself in the shoes of the other individual. And then now you understand you're that other person and you're also understanding your loved one, which sometimes again, again, you have these blindfolds and you don't want to accept that your child is sick. And that's the reason why it's so important to go to a support group because they realize that, like Estella said, they don't want to think that my daughter, my son is sick by hearing it from another person who's going through the same condition, then they realize that's what my daughter or my son is going through. And I've never really 
sad about that because I don't want to see that my son is sick or my daughter is sick. So it, it is important to have that the support group with others living with the same condition and having not only the patients, but also the caregivers, loved ones. Mm-hmm. That, that really goes back to the whole idea we were saying in the beginning. It's a loved one's experience. It's an inner circle experience. And, you know, it, depending on who you look at and consider family or, or whomever you're that, that you're closest with and unraveling those layers, this kind of onion of the different support. And I think it's really important in what we wanted to highlight today this is about patients and their need for support and every other person in that inner circle. Correct. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, Tiffany, and I don't know if you have experienced this, if I were to tell you I have cancer, automatically, no matter who you tell, that person's going to feel empathetic because they are going to feel You know, they know that, oh, cancer is a devastating condition to have or diagnosis to have. And they associate that with, oh, my gosh, I feel bad for you and you may die. Right. And chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And with lupus and with any other autoimmune condition, like the condition that you have that I can't even pronounce, uh, (laughs) um, they don't know much about it. So I can't feel that empathy Mm -hmm. because I don't know. Right. So we had someone in our support group that had a sibling diagnosed with cancer and the whole family, you know, they're all doing the pink ribbon, like this, the walks and they're going to the support group and, oh my gosh, she lost her hair and, you know, she's going through chemo. But the other sister also had lupus, was also going through chemo, was also losing her hair. And besides all of that, she didn't go in remission. She still had lupus forever. Mm -hmm. And the one that was diagnosed with cancer was able to get treatment and now is cancer free. It was an eye opener to see how supportive this family was to the sister that had cancer and not to the sister that had lupus and fibromyalgia and other conditions. So once the family came around and the sister also came around and heard others talk about their experience with lupus, they were able to connect with her at a different level and support her at a different level. So that was one of, you know, an interesting point. Mm-hmm. And I bring it up because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. Some family members or loved ones or friends may not understand what lupus is. You're not the same person. You look the same, but you're not the same person. You're canceling plans. You're doing all this. You're, you know, maybe you're faking it. Like you, you look fine to me. You're still working. Like with my sister, she's judged so much because she's always looking fabulous and always in heels. Why does she have one of those disabled placards, you know? <laughs> oh. oh, yes. Well, that we can branch out into a, to a another. But it does bring us to a couple other good points to bring to this initial conversation is the issue that sometimes, especially when there's lack of education, Mm -hmm. which we know is extremely important in our community, and a degree of invisibility, you look good, you're wearing heels, you know, you're, because I, it's, it's, it's funny. I think back when I first got diagnosed, because I always love to dress up and, you know, try to look good and wear my heels. And I remember feeling that I couldn't do that because people wouldn't believe me that, that something was wrong. And I caught myself starting to dress down, purposefully not wearing heels. Now, 
granted, there are people who cannot, but we're all affected in different parts of our body. So if your feet are extremely affected, you're probably not going to be able to wear heels, right? It shouldn't have prevented me, but that, that fear that people, it wasn't even so much the, the public as much as it was my inner circle because I wanted them to understand what I was feeling that they couldn't see was serious and important and life-changing. And so I felt like because they couldn't see it, I had to make something visible to look life-altering. If that Yes, and, and, I can, and I can understand that. I don't think I have done that where I have started to dress down, but I feel that a lot of the times I have to be saying things to justify oh yeah it it just because you you don't want people to feel sorry for you but you just have to constantly remind them that there is something wrong and i feel that sometimes i just have to justify why i'm parked in the disabled parking for example Mm -hmm. or why i have to be close to the store because i can't be out in the sun and i have to literally run from my car to the store so I feel that I always have to be justify why, or I always have to say or make a comment as to why I have to do what I do. Mm-hmm. Now, is that an extension to acceptance from a greater public as well, like being judged? Yeah, I, I think it, it's more of a, I want people to accept or understand, or a lot of the times is that maybe I don't want the acceptance. I don't want them to understand but I'm just bringing awareness. I'm just bringing it to light. I want people to know what's going on, what it is, what is lupus. So as for me, I always try to just share and talk about lupus in any way that I can. And I'll bring it up in any way because I want to teach others. Mm-hmm. Oh, I understand that. I mean, I, I, I wear my hard to say disease on my sleeve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm always, always, always talking about that. So it it is very important to mention. So there's this sort of support and then there's this idea of non-support, but is it really, as you all were saying before, is it being unsupportive if it's really just because of a lack of knowledge or if it's because they're fearful of their loved one being sick, which is a little different than than the comparison with the cancer story, because there is, again, that variety, that varied experience of who takes what serious and and whatnot. Is there anything else that you all wanted to add as far as what would fall under support, what would fall under, you know, it's, it's not really that people aren't supporting, but they just may not know. What I want to bring up is just the communication. You know, when the individual is diagnosed with a specific condition, if it's lifelong, especially, you need to be able to communicate with your loved ones, your friends, and your family. Communicate to them, let them know what it is that you need if you do need something, what symptoms uh, the condition will have, and how it might affect you, what treatments you're going to take that might affect your mood the fatigue and how it's going to affect you mentally or, you know, just different types of communication. And again, you don't have to like tell them every single thing that you're going through at one time because it could be overwhelming for them, but it could also be overwhelming for you. Mm-hmm. But let them know, keep them informed. What it, What is it that you need? Do you just want them just to know and not do anything? And if you do need something, let them know that you will ask. 
because as caregivers and loved ones, we want to fix things, right? I'm one of those that I just want to, I want my magic wand, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't exist. And I want to see what I can fix and how I can fix it. And I want to do things. And sometimes that gets me in trouble. I cannot fix any of this. So what I need to do is ask, do you need my help? Do you need this? And sometimes mm-hmm. I need to just shut up <laughs> and not say anything and just listen. Mm-hmm. There is so much support that can be given to the other individual by just being there. Right. And as a patient, the support that I personally need, it doesn't mean that I need for my loved one, my uh, my caregiver to do something for me, but just for me to know that if I call that my loved one is going to be there. For example, there's times where I just need to call my sister to say, hey, it's a beautiful day. Hey, you know, I'm going to be doing this. And it doesn't have to necessarily be to talk about what I'm going through with the condition that I have Mm -hmm. with lupus. I don't want to talk about that. Sometimes I don't even want to hear the word lupus. Sometimes I just want to talk to her about, you know, something that that came up. You know, I like this car. I, I like these flowers. Whatever. It doesn't have to be support to talk about your condition. Mm-hmm. Support doesn't mean that. Support means that I just want her and I want to know that she's there when I need her. Right. That also is great that you brought that up because the support, I think a lot of people automatically think, well, I'm doing the right thing by asking. I'm doing the right thing by making sure you're okay. But sometimes support is just remembering we're all human with mm-hmm. lives yeah. <laughs> as well. And our di- diseases don't always define us. And you know, we don't want to lose that sense of the relationship that we have. And again, the theme here, communication is key. And with Estella, you had said, you know, you want to fix things. And I know my, my parents are the same way. They get very frustrated if they're like, God, I wish I could do something. And, and I think it's important for people in your role to also think about supporting themselves and not being so hard on themselves, because that, that is a big, that's a, that's a big emotional struggle that can't be ignored. And, and I just wanted to, to comment on that because I think that the people who are in that role should be forgiving. Yes, definitely, Tiffany. And, you know, one of the things that I've spoken about and and I'll share it with you so you can share it with everyone is tips for the caregivers, because every time you think about self-care and wellness and, you know, practice self-care, you always think about the person that's living with a specific condition or the one that you're supporting. And that's not the case. We cannot pour from an empty cup, right? So we need to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And on one of the, I think it was like a symposium or something where I presented and I literally put a rock with different things. You know, the stress of caring for someone that has an illness, not being able to sleep, you know, trying to fix things and you can't. Just the variety of things that as stressors that we have as caregivers and At the end of the day, we carry so much and we can't help them if we have all this to carry, right? So we need to take time for ourselves. We need to recharge. We need to try and do other things for ourselves because we need to be able to support our loved ones in the best way that we can. So we need to take care of ourselves. You know, 
I started practicing mindfulness meditation. I'm not great at meditation because, you know, I'm very talkative, so I can't stay quiet. But I'm terrible but at it. The breathing <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. The breathing techniques, different things that will help me relieve my stress have helped me a lot. Get better sleep, then I won't be as moody and I can support my sister more. And I say my sister because we're always together, but we're also supporting my mom. My mom lives with osteoarthritis and other chronic conditions, diabetes. And, you know, it just, we come in, you know, they come in packages. So we are very supportive. We're a big family. So we need to be able to take care of ourselves, realize that we need to do that first, and then to be able to help the the others. Mm-hmm. There was another thing that that you had said, Juana, about you don't always need help. And I know I've talked to a lot of people living with our diseases who it's varied. A lot of people will say, I want the independence. Please don't ask. Don't ask me. So there are there is that extreme where people say, I don't want you to open the door for me. I don't want you to you know, do these things for me. I want to have my independence. And I'm a little different than that. You know, one of the reasons that my husband and I, our relationship works so well is he has a caregiving nature automatically. It's just instilled in him. And I sort of rely on it because I like that he will say, no, please, I know that you've had a hard day and you're flaring. I'm going to do all of this. And he doesn't give me the option. (laughs) And that, but that's a good example of how all of us have different definitions of support and needs. That's why we wanted to put this conversation, this topic on the table, because we all speak to many, many people all over the world and we can hear and summarize, but when it comes down to it, we also have to make sure that we're hearing all of the experiences and then we can build on some of the great resources that are already out there and fine tune them to really accommodate everyone. And it all centers around communication. Right. Right. Yeah. So communication is a key, but as a patient, sometimes I don't want to be a burden to others, not only to my sister, my husband, my children, but I myself feel that by not doing or trying to do what I can is giving up. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I'm not ready to do. I'm not ready to give up. And so I try my best. Obviously, if I am struggling, I will ask for help. Mm-hmm. but I don't want to be a burden and I don't want to give up. That's how I see it. But of course, you know, the support, just knowing that my husband, my sister, my kids are are there, that means a lot. Yeah. And I, I think you touched on another direction to explore in the future as we bring more people to the table to talk about this is there also are at times family members or people in our inner circle that just don't accept it, get frustrated. And in some cases, the relationship ends. And that's a real, it's a really unfortunate direction, but that is a reality. And maybe through more communication, more help from organizations like ours and guidance from people who are, who are living these, maybe there's a way that, that we can help that demographic as well. Yes, because it's, we see it a lot easier, especially in our culture. Like if the the woman has these illnesses, they will ask for help and it'll be easier for the man to, you know, kind of take over and be supportive. But when the role changes and 
the man is the one that's hurt or the man is the one that has the condition, a lot of times they won't speak up, speak up and ask for help. So I think, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, right now, because we're talking and, and we're all women here, but when you bring other people to the table, they can probably share different circumstances and situations because, you know, the man is the breadwinner, you know, they, they might feel like they, they can't ask for help. And so again, you know, going back, communication is a key because if we have an understanding, no matter what our culture is, if my husband were sick, I would do whatever it took for him to tell me how I could help him. Mm -hmm. If we talk about it, if we, you know, nurture that relationship, then you won't see that go away. There's other things that you can go to for help. You can get counseling. If you need counseling with, within your spouse or your kids, you can also go to support groups, which is what we do support for the caregivers, support for the loved ones. So there's different things that you can do to learn more about how you can help each other and help yourself. And that's a great point is the whole demographics. If you're a husband, a wife, a person living with the diseases who has specific challenges or different roles that your expectations, where you live, your you know your background, your culture. It, there's so many things to to factor <laughs> to factor in access to care. I mean, you know, it just goes on on and on. But I think that has summarized everything that we wanted to to throw out there on the table. Did I miss anything? Bringing this conversation to the table is so important because so many people don't know how to help, and so many of us don't know how to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I agree. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to circle this back. Now, look, I showed you all before <laughs> we started. Yeah. I'll have to take a, a picture of that. So I write furious notes when, when we do this, but I started with an outline and then I, I literally, it's color coded and everything here. Um, but just some, some key takeaways is that a person living with these diseases who is looking for support, that varies on what that support is. And it's physical, emotional, there's different facets of that as well. But it's not just the person living with the diseases. It's, it's a whole experience, a family experience, an inner circle experience. And those sides, those perspectives and experiences need to be understood as well. And I think we talked a lot about a lack of knowledge, the different types of characteristics from each person who might offer support, what their challenges could be, whether that they, they didn't understand, they're fearful, they're in denial, it's invisible. All of those things are issues that we could talk more about and learn more about in order to help people, all based on communication, which is exactly why we do the show. <laughs> because we believe, in addition to everybody's experiences being counted, the best way for you to learn, which you both talked about here, is through communication and sharing. So when you talk, when you share your stories, you start to learn, you have aha moments that you wouldn't have had. You grow, right, as a person. And so that's why we want to invite everybody who's listening, who this is relevant to, if you are a person living with these diseases, if you know somebody, if they're in your inner circle, if you're a, a medical professional and you're looking for better ways to 
connect your patients to resources like this. I mean, if this resonates with you, we want to hear from you. And how can you do that? So there's a couple different ways. The first is you can always go to our website at arthritis.org and go to podcast and you can submit questions or comments there. Also, if you are a person living with our diseases, we encourage you to join the sister site (laughs) (laughs) that we started for AI Arthritis Voices 360 talk show, which is the AI Arthritis Voices online community. So there, every week after these episodes air on Sundays, we will have a post in there where you can talk to myself, you can talk to Estella, you can talk to Juana, so whomever is co-hosting will be there and we'll post some questions to continue the conversation and we invite you to join that. And then we'll also connect you, tell everyone where they can find you both. Well, we are on all the social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under at Looms for Lupus, so L-O-O-M-S, number four, Lupus. Our website is www.loomsforlupus.org. We're also on social media under our names, Estela Mata and Juana Mata. So reach out to us if you need anything. We are here to support everyone. Thank you, Tiffany, for inviting us to the table to bring our perspectives. (laughs) (laughs) It's always wonderful to have you both here. I could we mm-hmm. could hang out forever. I have a feeling. So yes, everyone else, we, we want to hear from you. What is needed? What has worked? What is missing? What is your perspective? And only when we bring everyone together, will we be able to assess that? And then we will bring this conversation back to the table in a future episode and kind of give updates on where we are and creating new resources. So again, you can find this and all of our episodes at arthritis.org backslash podcast. While you're on there, we ask if you love the show, if you want to support what we're doing, there's also a big old red donate button at the top. We say high five or high 10 to let us know that you are up and want to help out. But most importantly, to join the conversation. And you can also do that by emailing us at podcast at arthritis.org or send us a message at any of our social media at ifaiarthritis. And that is it. So we are signing off. We are inviting you to join us. Thank you both again. It was wonderful having you. Thank you. Thank you, Tiffany. Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on all the latest AI arthritis news and events. 